So it's baseball season. Uh, I'm done with soccer, and so now we're off to softball. I'm super excited for it. Uh, it had me kind of thinking about a way to talk about today's message, um, not trying to keep anyone in line. There's no threats here, you know. Um, so I, I prepped Tim that he might be the only one that knows the answers to my pop quiz this morning. Now, I think many of you will know this. Um, so when, when I was young, the thing to do was to watch baseball. It's back when it was good. And, uh, and you would want to emulate batters. And so if you grew up in the 90s, there was a batter that every young boy wanted to be exactly like. And he would stand at the plate like this. Who was it? Anna Gilsinger. Cal Ripken Jr.? No. Maybe I'm not doing it as well as it would. Who is it, Todd? Who? Derek Jeter? Man, I'm really terrible at this. I was hoping I'd be better. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., guys. Ken Griffey Jr. Who said that? Sammy so Nobody wants to be like Sammy Sosa. He cheated. No, the answer was Ken Griffey Jr. Every single kid wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. Now, this is where Tim and his expertise needs to come in. Now, every Detroit Tigers kid, they all wanted to emulate this batter. And who was it? Now, he had a big wad of chew in his mouth, um, but he would hold the bat like this. Oh, my goodness. No, you're doing terrible. You would hold it like this. His initials are M and T. He would hold the bat like this, just standing right there. This, this illustration is dying. This is not good. It's Mickey Tettleton would hold the bat like this. He would rest it right here. And there wasn't a kid in the world that could emulate it and hit a ball because you just drop and it was terrible. Failed me miserably, Tim. Thank you. Maybe you'll get this one. This one's a little trickier. He would crouch down way back, and he would have his bat like that. Oh, my goodness. This is just terrible. I even reviewed everything. I was just like, I, I want to do this right. I'm going to really sell it. What a terrible illustration. You failed me. Never going let, to let it down, Tim. Tony Phillips, he would have this goofy, he'd put it way back, he'd get crouched down. Anyways, as I, as I was growing up, and maybe this is the story for you all too, uh, just growing up, there was professionals that you wanted to be like. You know, there's the basketball counting down the last few seconds, Michael Jordan emulate the shot. What I think Paul is doing for us, in his letter for us in the book of Ephesians, is there are postures that we need to take and a life that we need to emulate and a life that we need to become. And instead of propping up for ourselves these professional athletes in which we will, you know, fall desperately short of, I can't even emulate Ken Griffey Jr. for you guys to, uh, but he was like the greatest hit, one of the greatest hitters ever. Um, and certainly I'm not going to emulate him very well. But what Paul teaches us is, is that there is postures in Christ that we all have and that we're all called to. And he says for us first, and kind of foundational where we went in the scriptures to start Ephesians, was that we are all seated with Christ because Christ is seated at the heavenly, uh, in the heavenly realms. 
and that everything is under Christ. And so in, uh, in his opening, he says, everything is seated, uh, Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and we are seated with him. It's understanding that our relationship with God is predicated on the victory of Christ, that we can find rest and solace. And last week, we walked through uh, quite a bit of Ephesians, and I just wanted to kind of guide us through this sort of presentation that Paul's presenting to us, that we now belong to God through the power of Christ. And the appropriate response to that is what Paul says in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1 or 2, I forget, that we kneel before our Father in heaven. And so we're seated with Christ, and then that following posture is for us to kneel before our Father and offer up this prayer of, that we would know Christ and we would know of God's love and we would keep growing in it. Without those postures, what comes next uh, would be very burdensome for all of us. But because we're seated in the victory of Christ and because we've spent time kneeled before the Father, grateful for what he's done for us, because we're growing in the knowledge of the love that God has for us, how far and wide and deep is the love of Christ for each and every one of us, then we can sort of rise and stand from the kneeling position and we can do what is asked of us. And I think it's two things. I think it's to serve Christ and to walk with him. Paul, I think, challenges us to be like Christ and be imitators of God, to be more and more like him in every possible way. And without the front end of the first two messages, that feels like a burden that you can't carry. You know, if I just left you today and said, hey, hey, y'all, be more like Jesus, do better, you've been really doing a bad job at it, you know, kick it up a notch, right? That becomes a burden for us that seems impossible. But when we know that we are seated with Christ and we have a relationship with him, that Christ reigns over the, heaven and, over the heavens and the earth and that all is under him, when we rest in the victory of Christ, we can rise to walk with him. Today's message is an encouragement. Have the posture of Christ. Walk with him and trust in him. We can emulate Christ. We can be more like him. Kneeling before the Father, what does Jesus do? How does he live his life? We'll take a look at some of that today. Would you be like Christ? Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for our time together. And we pray forgiveness for terrible illustrations. But may it resonate in our heart today, God, that who we're trying to conform to, who we are transformed by, the life that we have today, who you're calling us to be is Jesus Christ, to look like him, walk like him, live our lives as imitators of God. God, thank you that this new life is possible through the victory of Christ. May we open our hearts and our minds to you today. May we be challenged and convicted and conformed to your image. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So where does Paul teach us that we need to be more, uh, more like Jesus? 
Well, we finished off in chapter 3 last week, and if we pick up together in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it sort of sets the stage today for us as we think about what's, what's going on. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you received. Paul is welcoming us into a life in which you all have been called. Uh, on the internet, you can go into the Googleizer and you can type it in, and it's called the Y'all version. And the Y'all version of the Bible is a lot like uh, all the other versions of the Bible, but every time there's a second person plural pronoun, it puts the helpful translation of Y'all. And sometimes it'll do all Y'all. Or all y'alls, you know, when there's more than, more than, I, I don't understand uh, grammar, so I'll just stop there. But it's a helpful reminder that all of, most all of the yous that are in your Bible is speaking of the plural, more than one. And sometimes we over-personalize things and we forget that there's a whole lot of people going on in this one phrase right here. I urge all of you all to live a life worthy of the calling all of you all have received. We are all invited into a life in this good news, into this kingdom that God has given us. And he has called us out of this world, each and every one of us, to live a life worthy of this calling. He says in Ephesians 2.10 that our purpose is to have good works for the glory of God, that we would function together, that we are called out of this world, that your life would bring glory, honor, and praise to God. You are created for good. And that feels like a burden if we neglect the first two sermons of this. But now, knowing that Jesus has seated us with him, knowing all that Christ's work has done for us, now kneeling before God, it doesn't seem like all that much that if my life is spent kneeling before God my Father, then as I look and I stand, I am ready and willing to be in a position of service. I hope that that makes sense, that as we have a posture of kneeling before our Father in heaven, we then have a posture that's willing to serve the world. And I only have the proper response to serving the world because I want to be a part of the good that God is doing within me and what God has designed each and every one of us to do. I want to serve the world out of a posture that is in love with God. I want to know of his love, and I want to share it with the world. And he's calling each and every single one of us. This is not a select elite group. I know you think of me that way, elite, you know, specialized servant of God. Um, I try to give off that aura in everything I do, right? But each and every one of us are uniquely gifted by Christ in different capacities and giftings. The more time I spend with you, the more unique I realize you are and how weird you are, I mean different you are, and how unique and talented and generous and loving each of you God has gifted you with. I think of the beauty of all of that. And I think Paul is pulling this out of each and every one of us in, this, uh, in his letter to Ephesians to say to us that each and every one of us has 
arrived into this calling that you have all received and this calling to do good work, uh, good work, Jesus has gifted us. He says some have been gifted to be apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists. God has been equipping and training his church to be the church and he's given it all it needs to bring glory, praise, and honor to God. And so part of this is a little bit of a pep talk. Has God gifted you to serve the church? Has God gifted you to bless and care for the people in this community, community of believers, and beyond? I, you know, sometimes I, I, I spend quite a bit of time with, uh, with young people, and most of that time is just encouraging them along to say, hey, you can do this. You have the strength, you have the know-how, you have the ability to do it. Do you believe that you do? And man, when you believe in a kid, it's amazing what they aspire to be. It's amazing what they discover they are capable of doing. And maybe if we could just hear Paul as a coach to each and every one of us, and he's saying to us, hey kid, there is something special, amazing, incredible about you. Each and every one of you, all of you all, are being called out of this world and you're being called to Christ. And God has done all of this work and he's shown you all of this love. And he just wants you to know today that you have everything within you that you need through the Spirit of Christ to change this community, to bring unity and love under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can make this church into what God's calling it to be. So would you get out of the pew, would you, you know, would you perk up and would you realize God's gifted you in so many ways? Would you use those gifts? Would you welcome people into your home? Would you fix their car? Would you share generously? Would you bless those who are hurting? Would you make a meal? Would you do any one of thousands of things? Go on to Pinterest and type in how to be a nice person and just see what ideas come up. It's a beautiful thing. And let it spur you on towards love and good deeds that we might bring unity to the church. This is not about creating programs. This is not, not about getting plugged into children's ministry, though I'd like to remind you that VBS starts in the, you know. Right? No, this isn't about plugging another ministry. It's not about plugging another program. It's about you knowing that you belong to Jesus Christ. And then you want to love those who also join in that kingdom endeavor that you would have life with him. All of you have been called by Christ to do good works for Christ and his kingdom and his glory. And he's given out gifts. When the king would come back and he would share the spoils of his victory, he would share of the weaponry and the gold and all of the jewels and all of these wonderful things. When Christ returns, when, when Christ gives out and doles out the gifts of the victory of the cross. He gives us everything we need to be unified in Christ, to love one another and serve one another. And so as the blessings come forth from the train of Christ, he is giving it to you to love and serve and open your hearts to each other. Would you be reminded of that in your heart today? How can you serve God's church and God's world? Paul, I, I'm not, read the book, there's so much there, I just want to give these quick encouragements and quick nuggets. Um, we are equipped to serve and walk 
uh, walk with Christ and to live out our calling on our lives. There's questions then is how do we, how do, we do this? And if you look at uh, verse 17, there's instructions for Christian living is how uh, most of the headlines read for that. But let's just kind of dig in for a moment. So I tell you this in verse 17, 417, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." So Paul is saying, okay, the first thing for us is if we're going to live a life worthy of the calling that we've all received, if we embrace the gifting that Christ has given us so that we can build up one another in love, in unity, there's also a component to our lives that we really don't do super well with, and that's the reminder that we've repented from our past. We've turned from a life of darkness and despair, we've turned from a life of sin and we're called to a new life. And it's curious to me that the closing of that paragraph is that they indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. And uh, I was uh, encouraged and I I heard uh, from my friend Mark uh, this quote from James Montgomery Boyce who says that greed is the uh, exact opposite of faith. Greed asks this, uh, sort of has this drive, rather, that the more I get, the more I will be satisfied. And so it's interesting that this, uh, that verse 17, sort of, or 19, rather, closes with, they've lost all sensitivity, sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. This is talking sexual immorality. This is talking about the pursuit of everything. Uh, and what we find is, is in our lives, we find that in our efforts of trying to make ourselves whole, we add so many things that are unholy. And so what I think Paul is getting at is, is that as we pursue more and more and more, it's a direct opposite act of faith. Faith says, I have everything and I have my completion in Christ. Greed says, I don't have anything satisfying unless I have everything. And there's this continued pursuit of more and more and more. When will it ever be enough? And Paul's looking at that and saying, if you understand, friends, that today you are called out of this world and you have a life in Christ, then you realize your completion is in him. And your faith rooted and established in the love of Christ, you can know that you have all of your needs met in Him. Find your satisfaction in Christ. So, when we think about living a Christian life, we need to continue to turn from our past and realize that we have something, a wonderful gift for us in this world. We embrace a new way of life, and it's laid out for us in verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we repent of our past. We 
we realize that we are putting on Christ and we walk with him in true righteousness and holiness, that we find our completeness in Jesus, and therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any, let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The opening parts of Ephesians are helping us understand our sort of position in life. And we have our place because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and he has adopted us into his family. He has done all of the work, and we belong to Christ. That's good theology by Paul. And now he's trying to enter into the sort of practical, everyday life situations. And he starts talking right directly to every one of us. You know, he stepped on all of our toes there. And sometimes when we pick up the Bible, we want to use scissors, but sometimes we need to use highlighters, and these are a highlighter passage. When you think about, how do I live my life for Jesus? Well, he hit a couple of things. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I better, you know, choose my words a little more carefully every once in a while, huh? Maybe even our uh, fingers and our texting and what we think and say. Maybe, it, I mean, this hits home, doesn't it? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not saying don't be angry. It's saying don't hang on to it and the bitterness and the anger and the malice and the things that just sort of grow and fester from that. Who's ever hung on to something that made them mad for longer than a week? <sighs> Sinners. So disappointed in <laughs> Even this week I had something happen that I've been holding on to, and I'm just like, I want to get them. I know, I know. I'll forgive them later. Friends, we, we've give, been given the truth of who Christ is, and I think that I'm much more willing to forgive when I realize the good theology of Ephesians at the beginning. That if I've spent time kneeling before my Father and I pray to God that I might know even more how wide and far and deep is the love of Christ for me, then when it's time to engage in the world, I might have more loving things to say having spent time with my loving Father. Isn't it remarkable how children talk and they emulate their parents? You can spend time with a second grader, and every once in a while they say words that second graders uh, really shouldn't say. And who do, who do they learn it from? Well, the parents, you know. Let, let's not condemn parents in this little subtle illustration, but it is a reminder that they emulate what they see. And Jesus, we want to emulate him, and Jesus is a direct reflection, he says. I 
show you exactly who the Father is and how much time did Jesus spend with his Father in good times and bad and stressors and everyday moments. Jesus goes before his Father, and I think Paul is inviting us to do the very same thing, that maybe the words of our, that overflow out of our heart might change if we spend time on our knees with our Father. That if we would kneel before him and he would change our lives, that he would change our words, that he would change the bitterness in our heart, that we would be more forgiving having fallen before our Father. So when we think about who we are in Christ, it helps us to become who he's calling us to be. And these good things that come from our lives and the gifts that we have and the unity that we share and the willingness to serve and our willingness to walk with God makes a lot more sense when we when we spend time with him. Jesus, uh, or Paul, rather, invites us to know what Christ in God's will is so that we would follow it. Paul says in verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1, rather, he says, follow God's example. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. There it is right there. Follow God's example as we follow Christ and his example. Let's continue to serve. Let's continue to walk with him. Let's find our life in him. I wanted to cover a lot of ground today. I don't know that I can get all the way through everything I wanted to share, but here's the simple truth. You are made new in him. You have life in Jesus' name. He's called each and every one of us to serve, to love, and to care for one another. You can do it because Christ is in you. Believe in what he's doing in your life to bless you and care for you. You can serve this world and walk with Christ. Would you do it together with me? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your kindness, and your grace. God, there is, um, there is for us this wonderful truth that we are seated with you. And our response, Lord, to everything that you have done to renew the world, everything you've done to be victorious over sin and death, everything that you've accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, is ours through Christ, through this wonderful gift. And God, you've asked of us to walk with you, to serve you, to serve your purposes in this world. And so God, remind us today that we have a purpose, that we have a life in you a life of service and kindness and forgiveness. God, you've given us the purpose of being a light in a darkened world. God, your word says to us in Ephesians that Christ shines upon us. May Christ truly shine upon us today that as we go into this world, we might be a radiant light of your mercy and your grace and your kindness your love, your welcoming, your hospitality. 
Lord, may we know you more and share your love more with one another. May we know how wide and far and deep the love of Christ truly is. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. We give you great praise and thanksgiving. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand in response for this?